Hello and welcome back to another episode of the NetPro Podcast. My name is James Bradfield. I'm one of the members of our Global Innovation Panel. And I'm very happy today to be presenting the third installment of our mini-series of podcasts on dietitians in medical nutrition education. So if you haven't listened already, please do go back and listen to earlier episodes that we've done. So we've recorded a interview with Dr. Elise Wilson um, last week. Um, Elaine McIninch, another member of NEDPRO, interviewed Dr. Dwayne Miller. And this week I'm very happy to be speaking with Dr. Tim Eden. Now, Tim has been on the show before for anyone who's listened to our podcast in the past. Tim was on back in April time, I believe, speaking about the COVID pandemic and his role as a junior doctor working in critical care. Now, this time, Tim is speaking to us given his background as both a dietitian and a junior doctor and really about his training as a dietitian and the kinds of things that he found um, useful in his medical training and which he has implemented now in a role of educator as well. So Tim talks a lot about um, his own experiences in both dietetics and in medicine. He talks a little bit about how the profession has moved on and developed even in the time that he's been involved in it and it's really just a great conversation between myself and Tim and again he brings a lot of insights and experience as well. So I just want to give a little bit of context here as well to when we recorded this interview. We recorded this near the beginning of September of this year 2020 and Tim made the comment that uh, COVID-19 admissions to hospital were not quite as bad as they were. Now, of course, in the last number of weeks, we have seen these numbers rise once again. But I just wanted to give a little bit of context and give a bit of an explanation because obviously at the time, uh, Tim was exactly right. But like I said, unfortunately, we've seen a bit of an upturn in numbers once again. Tim is also a member of the NEDPRO Global Centre. He's a part of our Global Innovation Panel and he also functions as part of our uh, Nutrition and COVID-19 Task Force. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation between myself and Dr. Tim Eden. Thank you very much, Tim, for joining me once again. I was I was thinking actually earlier on that you're the first person to be on the podcast twice, so you're you're uh, you you are in some sort of a crown for being our first repeat guest. So I'm I'm sure you're delighted with that um, accolade. For people who didn't listen to the first episode or who haven't listened to the podcast before, Dr. Tim Eden is a junior doctor. He's working in the NHS um, as a doctor. Tim has also previously trained and worked as a dietitian and up until very recently and possibly still we, we I, I must ask Tim about this what um, was doing jobs uh, shifts as a dietitian as well so a very um, multi-talented and somebody who bounces from job to job really really well uh, clearly so um, Tim welcome back and um, how, how is everything going now since we spoke to you last what what has changed in your day-to-day job and what, what are you up to now? Uh, well, I guess thank you very much first, um, firstly, James. That's a very kind um, introduction. Um, and yes, very happy to be um, the second person to do kind of, well, sorry, the first person to do two of the podcasts, um, CM. Um, I guess really, yeah, it was very exciting when we first spoke. Obviously, it was in the midst of COVID um, and I was doing an intensive care job at that time. And I think we can probably all say six months on, um, a lot of things have changed um, for everyone. So um, COVID, fortunately, at the moment, doesn't seem to be quite as bad in terms of hospital admissions. We're, we're seeing a big sort of change in that. 
Um, so myself, um, I'm in a different job role now. I'm no longer in intensive care and I'm doing a gastroenterology job. So um, yeah, it's been exciting and I've been very sort of glad to move on to something different. And something that probably, while obviously the the sort of topic of our conversation the last time was about the some of the nutritional challenges and difficulties in COVID, I suppose by doing a, a gastro job, it's it's the one maybe that is or the, the medical role that is more directly linked to nutrition. So is that part of the draw for you as well that the that you can kind of bring your nutrition into into gastro quite a bit, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's probably the nail on the head, really. So for me, I was very keen after doing sort of eight months um, in intensive care, I was very keen to take a year out before starting my um, my training post. So I've managed to find a gastro sort of F3 post, which is a gastro sort of clinical fellowship um, or sort of junior fellowship. And yeah, I think it's really the nutrition aspects of gastroenterology that always, that I guess, always even drew me um, when I was a full-time dietitian. So yeah, I really enjoy it. I, I love the kind of MDT um, aspect to it. Um, and it, it's always been something I've really enjoyed. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and like you say, it's something that, that you can, obviously, so many dietitians um, at one point or another, even if it's not their specialty for life, at, at some point work in, in gastro. So just to update people again, and, and I suppose ourselves, the, the point of this series of podcasts really, Tim, is to, to talk about people like yourself and we've obviously spoken with Dr. Elise Wilson and Dr. Dwayne Meller and Elaine McEninch has been involved as well. People like yourselves who are, I suppose, dietitians by training and working in areas and, and gone on to do further training that we mightn't typically associate with dietitians or we wouldn't expect dietitians to do and, and really seeing the skills and the competencies that we learn and I suppose, take on as dietitians that that could actually help with further training of, of other individuals. And, and just, you know, you mentioned the MDT and obviously that's a huge factor in, in all areas of, of, of medicine. But going back then to, to, to when you trained as a dietitian initially, what, what was the, where was the draw for you in dietetics? And, and I suppose at, at what point did you kind of realize, okay, actually dietetics, that's, that's a career for me. That's, that's what I want to do. Um, so I guess I kind of feel I had sort of a, a slightly convoluted route even into dietetics, but I guess my whole sort of career, it's all kind of slightly sort of um, matched up in the sense that I actually did um, a training course in, in Gordon Blair cookery. And for me, food, uh, my family background, they have some family from sort of France and Italy. Um, I've always been a really big foodie. And I, you know, I think food is very important. I think it's something that you can use to connect with people. Um, it's it's something that's there it's a necessity for everyone and I think as time went on with sort of cooking um, I just really started to you know appreciate and link the sort of the the biology um, linking it to kind of you know how it can influence our health and to me dietetics naturally seemed like the best um, I guess the best fit in terms of applying a sort of you know an academic course and a, a professional career um, in sort of doing some of this food and nutrition related. So, um, so yeah, to me, it sounded, sounded like the best kind of fit, um, I think. It's funny. I think, I think a lot of people probably end up, myself included, in dietetics through that way in some way of, well, I grew up loving food and loving, you know, trying to do a bit of cooking here and there. And my parents luckily were quite good cooks. And then I sort of realized, oh, well, there's, there's actually a job that 
advises people around this kind of thing. So uh, interesting to hear that you came from a, a similar standpoint, at least. So, Tim, how do you feel? Obviously, you've trained as both a dietitian and a doctor. So I'm interested in the kind of things that you thought were common to both. And then maybe some of the things that having done dietetics to begin with might have helped you in your training then as a doctor or, or you felt at times, you know, you had a, a little bit of an advantage or, or a deeper knowledge than some of your peers maybe in your, in your medical class. I, I suppose really how did, how did being a dietitian help you um, become a doctor, I suppose? I guess it's, it feels almost strange looking back. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely lots of um, similarities in terms of the training um, that I think both medics and, um, you know, dietetic students kind of undergo. They're very, it's very kind of um, practical orientated. Um, equally, you know, I think almost from the get-go, you're pretty much, you know, patient facing. Um, and I think, I think similarly to dietetics and being a medical student, it's all about kind of prepping students so that you're not being completely um, sort of thrown in the deep end you know you've got a tutor you've got mentors um, often you know you're there with senior colleagues um, you know but I think the the one thing I really liked about both of them is I'm quite a practical um, person I quite enjoy um, being also quite pragmatic so when you're on the ward and learning in the sort of way where you're learning um, not just from textbooks or just reading stuff um, you know interacting with people whether that's, you know, other healthcare professionals, um, learning from patients, learning from senior colleagues. Um, so that there's lots of similarities in terms of the, I guess, the model that's applied for both medical training and the dietetic training is quite similar. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then is, is there anything that, like I say, that, that you think was a part of your dietetic training that wasn't necessarily part of your medical training, but that because you had obviously trained as a dietitian, you were able to, to implement that. For example, was there um, anything about, you know, patient care that was different between the two, or did you find yourself um, thinking about food, I suppose, to, to begin with? Cause obviously that's a thing that we, as dietitians, we spend lots of time as trying to get doctors and nurses and anybody else really thinking about food and, and nutritional intakes and things. So, so I guess one thing I find quite interesting, and it's I think maybe I've touched on it before, but actually, when I when I go from doing a dietetic job um, to my medical job, um, it's interesting because we always apply um, a sort of formula to any approach to a patient, and it's partly because you know you want to be thorough, you might want to make sure you don't miss anything. So I remember always being taught on placement, you you know you approach an assessment with a kind of A to E assessment and so when we do a dietetic assessment we we utilize a kind of a to e to remember you know anthropometry biochemistry looking at the clinical aspects and then really i i guess the ironic thing is in medicine we if we have a sick patient we approach them with an a to e however they are completely different so rather than me sat there thinking you know what's their bmi what's their muscle mass i have to think do they have a patent airway what's their breathing like? How do we optimize them hemodynamically? And, um, you know, they're, they're very different, but I think the the underlying, you know, um, I guess sort of you're being quite logical and systematic with your approach. Um, I think there was a lot of crossover from that point of view. Um, I felt, I felt sometimes, I guess, as a dietetic student, I feel sometimes, um, 
you can almost feel like the conversation is a bit too, I would sometimes approach situations when I first trained um, almost in a very structured way. And I started to realize actually, I think as I, as I sort of graduated and as you qualify and you develop your own technique, just actually realizing that, you know, medicine or dietetic, you know, interviews or whatever, it's more of a conversation and just structuring it so you get the most out of the patient. Um, yeah. I think when you first start, you're, you know, you're trying to so desperately capture all the information that you think is, you know, what your tutor or your supervisor wants you to, to capture. Um, and it's just sort of having that confidence to realize that, you know, your own personal skills and your own ability to communicate can come through um, and, and still capture that information. Definitely. I, I know myself that it's it's something that I've found difficult during my own training of, of I, he, here's all the, the things I need to hit and here's all the boxes that I need to tick, but mm. I need to do it in a sort of a organic fashion, remembering to be friendly and be polite and all those kind of things. And like you say, it's it's probably only when you get to the end of your college course or university course or whatever it is that all those things sort of add up and you realize, oh, I've, I've clicked it now. And of course there's times where you still get it wrong and you're never, you're never perfect. But I think that's, I can definitely sort of um, empathize with that feeling of how do I do all these things, but, but make it look like it comes naturally um, is, is, is definitely true in dietetics and I'm sure for medicine as well. And it's, it's interesting to hear that you have obviously got sort of these boxes to tick for for both professions but that for you obviously you're you're you have both of them in your head at the one time and i, I imagine that you know it's probably never bad to gather that information but I, i'm sure if you came back from a, a medical um ward round just knowing what they had had a 24-hour recall of what they'd eaten in the previous day your your supervisors and and tutors mightn't be too impressed to be honest would they I, th- I think um, the thing that sums it up during um, my ITU um, block um, a few months ago, I think my colleagues were starting to notice that when I was talking about or documenting about the nutrition, um, nutritional aspect of their care, I started to be limited to just writing like two lines on our electronic system. So my registrar was like, no, 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 you're only allowed two lines about the NG feeding, about their bowels, about this. And I was like, no, come on, it's important. You know, the dietitians can't come onto the ward. It's covid they need to know. And she was like, no, 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 two lines, two lines is your limit. So, yeah. So I guess with, with each context, it's just being aware of what's the focus. I guess that's the key thing. Yeah, definitely. And and I suppose, yeah, it's, it's I'm trying to think about how to get a whole dietetic uh, consultation into two <laughs> lines. Must prob- probably end up throwing in quite a few abbreviations here and there, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure you managed. So um, at what point then, Tim, did you, I mean, I know from speaking to you offline and things that you always liked being a dietitian, you always enjoyed being a dietitian. But at what point did you realize, actually, I want to go back to university and and study medicine? And what were the kind of, I suppose, triggers for that? I guess... um... I guess it's really interesting. So I look at I look at the dietetic profession now, and I, I really feel like it's come such a long way in the last ten years with the sort of advent of having, I guess, like people doing prescribing courses, um, mm. being a lot more proactive in terms of kind of research and, and really promoting the profession as being, you know, actually taking the lead um, in certain services. So whether that's kind of diabetes, celiac disease, you know, TPN or nu- nutrition support at home. And I sort of feel that stuff, you know, 10 years ago, or whatever, wasn't, wasn't quite in the same position as what it was or is now. 
Um, I think, you know, I think it's, it's been getting there. Um, and I think for me, a big trigger was I, I always really enjoyed the intrigue of actually diagnosing what was wrong with a patient. And, um, I, I remember I really enjoyed a post where I was working as a band seven diabetes dietitian and I was doing carb counting and I, I absolutely loved helping those patients. And I loved, um, you know, titrating their insulin. And I started to realize, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm really enjoying the kind of, you know, the, the medical aspects, looking at, you know, when they have their annual checkups, you know, what are we missing? What have they missed in the past? What can we do to optimize their care? And I realized it was drifting slightly out of the remit of just purely the sort of nutritional care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I guess it started to be more, I guess, the, the intrigue from the sort of diagnostic components of things and, you know, where you lead from that. Um, which I, I felt like I didn't quite get the same within dietetics, but it doesn't mean to say, you know, within dietetics, you don't, you know, you don't sometimes have that. Um, yeah. It's just, a, you know, a very different role that you have um, when you're seeing the patient. Absolutely. And I suppose di- diabetes of all, because of the obvious use of, of medications, is probably one where I could imagine you thinking a lot more about the, the medical management and and therefore all of the multiple complexities that go with that obviously look you know a lot a lot better than I do on on that front but um I think it's 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 great to see or it's great to hear rather that you think the profession has kind of moved on in the last I think you said 10 years or so and um you know obviously I I haven't been around long enough to see that but I think as someone who's just qualified now you see so many really um what do I say pioneering dietitians in taking forward dietetic led services like you said whether that's celiac service Mm. or diabetes or you know taking a really active role in gastro clinics and and head and neck cancer all different areas and and that's obviously not an exhaustive list and I think that's probably crucial for any profession I'm sure it's the same for occupational therapy physiotherapy speech and language therapy that they have their areas of of where they can have real real strong impact um but I'm really interested to hear you say that you think that, that, that the profession has moved on in the last or, or has progressed, I suppose, um, over your time in it, really. Or, or, or your, I suppose from where you started to where you finished in dietetics, you've seen a big change, at least, you think? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I'm really happy to see, for example, my, my biggest role model, actually, when I or well, the person that was probably most influential when I was training was... Um, Dr. Alison Colkin, who's obviously uh, one of the lead dietitians at um, St. Mark's in terms of kind of TPN and sort of gastroenterology. And, and I just never forget, I was so inspired from her when I was on one of my placements. I, I managed to spend some time with her looking at patients on home TPN and, and being admitted to hospital with them, short bowel. Um, and it was just amazing. She was always so insistent that as dietitians, we should be very hands-on we should be assessing people, we should, you know, be doing additional measures. And I, I often felt sometimes that I guess it was quite easy to not always be so hands-on with patients. So not taking, you know, tape measures or some different different equipment so you can measure sort of muscle mass or power grip. Whereas she was very insistent we did it all the time. And it was something that really, really inspired me. So actually I never forget on a diabetes clinic. Um, you know, I realized a patient's insulin was going up through the roof, the dosage, and equally it didn't kind of match up with what, what he was eating. And I just realized, I was like, do you know what, I'm going to check all his injection sites, I'm going to palpate and feel and, you know, actually, I can feel the kind of 
the sort of lipomas, so the fat masses that kind of, you know, prevent absorption. And it was just one of those things where I think she always really inspired me to just go that kind of extra mile in your clinic, always critically think, um, you know, examine the patient um, within within your limit kind of thing. But um, so I think there's some amazing role models out there. And I think the key thing is if you find a role model and you get inspired, I think that's, you know, that's a really good thing to drive you um, to drive you forward. Definitely. I think you're, you're definitely right. We, we probably, well, I don't want to generalize, but I think um, a lot of, a lot of people are um, less hands-on. And I suppose, again, that's, that's partly down to the fact that we're not necessarily trained to be hands-on with things like looking for insulin injection sites or, um, you know, palpating um, ascites, for example, or anything like that. We're not, that would be, a lot of people would see it as outside of our remit of care. And, and of mm. course, for a lot of people, it's just, uh, you know, maybe not something that they'd be comfortable doing. But at the end of the day, I suppose, if you're, if you were working as a band seven diabetes dietitian and you, you think you know these things and you can help a patient, I mean, ultimately that's, patient-centered care then really isn't it and that's that's a lot of what we talk about very often and um out, out of interest then tim was was um was alison culkin a role model for you before you met her and were you then lucky to get to work with your role model or was it a case of having worked with her and then realizing that she was uh, again one of these sort of pioneers yeah i think it was um so i did my second placement when i was at king's um so i did my second placement at northwick park and you you were able to spend i think if i remember now i think it may have been maybe two weeks um on the sort of St. Mark's part of the hospital mm-hmm. um, i think i was paired up with allison um for part of that and i just remember the days that we'd be working it was always it was always great fun anyone that knows Alison she is um you know I've, I've, I've met her a handful of times and obviously this placement experience to me I still remember it It was very good fun but I felt like I learned so much partly because I felt relaxed I felt you know she was so so knowledgeable but the way that she taught um and sort of um you know inspired you know it was really great and I hadn't really come across it a lot on you know some other placements um, so don't get me wrong, there's lots of other, you know, very inspirational dietitians and great role models out there. But for me personally, um, you know, that was a pretty great experience for me. So Definitely. But sadly, I, to... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but sadly I, I didn't I didn't work at Northwick at all as a dietitian. So um so yeah, it was very much just on the the um placement um, that I worked with her. Yeah, with that, what what an opportunity to get to work with somebody like that on one of your placements as well, and and get to spend a couple of weeks shadowing them and kind of learning from them and bouncing off of them. I, I can imagine that was um, a really really great experience. So, moving moving on now to you like your current uh, job, and and you mentioned obviously when you were on critical care talking about doing almost a bit of dietary assessment yourself because the dietitians couldn't always be there or necessarily be on, on critical care at the time. How, how is your sort of relationship with dietitians now as, as a doctor? Because again, obviously the MDT is so important. The multidisciplinary team is so important. How do you find yourself interacting with dietitians? Is it, do you, um, I suppose I'm interested in, do you talk to them and let them know that you're a di- like speak to them in such a way that they know you're a dietitian or do you speak to them in such a way that they think, wow, that, that doctor is really interested in nutrition. I'm interested in that sort of dynamic. 
gosh, I feel like I could be really tripped up um, with my answer <laughs> on this, but, um, <laughs> but I don't know, I, I guess a lot of the time, if I'm being honest, I, I definitely don't walk on being like, oh, by the way, I used to be a dietitian. I, I feel sure. like at the, at the end of the day, my, my role when I'm sort of sat there on the ward is there primarily as the, the doctor. Um, but at the same time, I feel, I feel like having the sort of dual qualification and still working in both professions, I, I'm very much like a big advocate um, for when there's a nutrition problem or if there's any kind of, you know, long-standing nutritional issues that, you know, I, either maybe the medical team aren't quite prioritizing in the way that, you know, you feel that they potentially should be. I try and sort of utilize my influence um, as one of the doctors on the team to, you know, um, steer, steer the decision-making a little bit more, um, maybe along the lines of what the dietitian wants or what, what is clinically appropriate for the patient. Great, yeah. Um, so I, so I, I think in a way when, you know, I don't tell, I often don't tell dietitians straight away, but then inevitably it kind of comes up and they're obviously very curious as to why I know every single, or the, you know, most of the, the feeds and stuff. And I know the calorie content or the protein content and they, they instantly click and they're like, no, no doctor normally knows the difference between an ensure or a porter sip or, you know, another <laughs> yeah, yeah. brand or whatever. <laughs> so, so it, it slips out eventually, but, um, but I think, you know, I think it builds up a good relationship and I think for the most part, it's been really positive. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I, I understand what you mean. You wouldn't be going on kind of saying, well, I can do this and I can do that and I can do all your jobs. But it, I think I'm, I can only speak for myself. I, I think it would be really interesting to speak to a doctor, especially for somebody like myself, who's just starting off as a dietitian, to speak to a doctor who has experience as a dietitian, because, you know, the, the doctors are obviously sort of leading the MDT to have guidance then from them in terms of the overall patient care but also knowing that they are sort of assessing the nutrition and stuff as well I think that would be like a really interesting place and and space I suppose for a, a dietitian particularly a young dietitian um to work in as well so um yeah I think that would be great and and, and maybe for for dietitians who know their stuff and have been around for a bit longer it might be also very interesting to work with somebody who can you know, who isn't a dietitian, but who, who knows dietetics basically. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I, I can definitely imagine once you start talking about the calorie content and protein and intake of certain uh, protein content of certain supplements that, um, you, you'd smell a rat at that point, I think really. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, um, I think one of, one of my, um, one of the things I've come across a lot is, um, I think another thing that brings is when, instantly patients often get put on you know leads or you know they're being fed um when it's been a couple of days without any feed and everyone gets a bit exciting over refeeding syndrome and it's not to say you know a refeeding syndrome should be underestimated but i i feel like i'm a bit of a guardian as to how much paprinex one person can prescribe for a patient and um you know i think <laughs> in situations like that it's it's interesting because it promotes you know interesting debate interesting conversation and i still you know i still feel like i learned so much from the the, the gastro dietitians i'm working with at the moment they're they're really phenomenal and it's you know it's interesting because i feel like i learned from them and um you know it kind of definitely works both ways that's for sure definitely and and that's I suppose ideally that's the way it would be in any MDT is that you'd all be learning from each other and that, you know, whether it's uh, you from them or them from the speech and language therapy and, you know, a whole kind of circle. Um, so Tim, obviously you've worked clinically in nutrition, you've worked clinically as a doctor and, and you also have a role within 
NEDPRO and you, you've been really active in our COVID task force over the last number of months in terms of getting involved in some case studies and write-ups and things. But I'm, I'm interested if you would be, well, sorry, I'm, I'm curious if you would be interested in ultimately um, teaching nutrition at some point, whether that be um, sort of formally, I suppose, in terms of uh, you know, going back to university and doing some lecturing, or if it's something that you would feel you could do as part of your job when you have medical students and things like that. Like, how do you feel about furthering the nutrition agenda? We'll call it, we'll call it. And and how, how would you feel about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something, it's something I'm really passionate about. And it's something that I've, I've kind of really been actively involved in. um, Even, even actually before I graduated from BART's as a medic, so probably for the last sort of three, um, three or four years, I've been involved at Bart's Medical School in producing a sort of nutrition module um, that was based as a kind of e-learning that we've now sort of evolved to also incorporate um, sort of pre-COVID era. We were incorporating it. So we had like OSCEs. Um, we had set up so that um, students were actually taking diet histories. So medical students were practicing, you know, taking very, you know, almost kind of um you know, I guess a diet history that would be appropriate in sort of focused situations and um, being able to assess nutritional assessment, but kind of not taking away the role of the dietitian, but just being able to have a, a greater appreciation, I think, and understanding yeah. for things. So I guess, I guess definitely from an educational point of view, I've, I've really enjoyed being part of that, um, developing that module, um, updating it and making sure, you know, it's, we, we're utilizing it in the best way that we can. And like you said, I guess, um, you know, furthering the sort of nutrition agenda in the medical curriculum, I, I think is really important. Um, I guess, oh, sorry, go on, James. No, you go ahead. I, I was going to say, I guess it, it links in really well with all the work that sort of NEDPRO, um, NEDPRO, Nutritank, um, obviously previously Elaine, um, all the work that Elaine and um, Kathy have been doing down at Brighton, so people that you previously um, interviewed as well. You know, all of that stuff, I, I think it's doing a phenomenal job to sort of drive um, nutrition on the sort of agenda and, and sort of getting out there so that it's not really seen as this kind of Cinderella science anymore. It's something that actually medics do take a lot more seriously. And I, I think people and the public want it to be taken more seriously as well. Definitely. I hope, well, I hope so. I mean, I feel like with the the work of, you mentioned um, Elaine and Cathy and, and their organization, Erim and NutriTank and Culinary Medicine as well, those three organizations alongside NEDPRO in this sort of nutrition coalition, I feel like we're very much on sort of, well, I was going to say the edge of a cliff, but what I mean is in a positive sense, I feel like there's a lot of momentum now and we're, we're, we're yeah. at the cusp of really breaking that um I suppose market is is a, is one way to put it, but really breaking that and and getting nutrition firmly um, appreciated. Because look, I, I'm I'm not saying that nobody appreciates it, but it could definitely have a, I I think at least, and of course I'm I'm biased, a more central place in in healthcare. But I, I think you actually made a really really interesting and important point as well when you were saying about like not taking away. The role of the dietitian as well, because that that is something that I think sometimes people are a little bit um, almost afraid of. Is well, if we keep educating doctors about nutrition, and we keep educating nurses about nutrition, we keep educating these. Well, at some point, are we going to have no need for a dietitian? And again, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because in my 
I, I suppose, opinion. This is just an opinion. It's not that we're going to become obsolete as dietitians, but actually that we would probably get to spend more time doing things that we will enjoy more and helping people that need us more rather than doing the, 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 you know, you, you mentioned taking simple diet histories. I mean, that's in many ways screening. And then if you acknowledge that there's an issue, then you get the dietitian involved. So how, how do you think that that marries up in terms of getting everybody interested in nutrition, but not necessarily replacing dietitians? kids yeah i i actually to be honest i probably agree with your opinions but i don't think you know there's never going to be a case where dietitians are obsolete um, and especially with the kind of um evolving roles that dietitians are having i think it's been great um you know and i imagine even with covid the evolving you know sort of telemedicine so doing sort of um, online or tele sort of um consultations over the phone etc but I think kind of even even that aside, look, I don't think I've ever worked in a, and I probably imagine anyone listening to this has never worked in a department that has been overstaffed with dietitians. Yeah. So I think in terms of when, when people talk about having a manageable caseload, I feel like that's almost the golden grail for dietetics. Um, I, I remember sort of, you know, working that often you would have a very high caseload. You, you become very good at prioritizing. But equally, you would get referred things that, that maybe weren't quite as appropriate or things that could just be done, you know, a bit, a bit easier in terms of screening, et cetera. But yeah. so I think it's about homing. It's about homing in on what's more important. And I think by upskilling doctors, nurses within kind of simple things with nutrition. So nutrition screening, nutritional, basic nutritional assessment where you're, you're starting and, impl- and implementing a, a change that can yeah. then be followed on and finessed by the kind of specialist dietitian at a, you know, a later date and stuff. But I think we really underestimate that, you know, doctors purely by, you know, by numbers, really, they will be the first people invariably seeing the patient. So I, I think absolutely, it's really important that doctors are aware of the kind of nutritional implications, or if there is something um, that's a nutritional issue that needs to be flagged early on, that makes a mm. massive difference in patient care definitely yeah absolutely I, I i totally agree and and i think that's you mentioned sort of the, this this holy grail of of having a manageable caseload i i think the holy grail for many dietitians is probably having doctors like yourself who are i suppose aware and engaged enough and and i really don't mean that as as a criticism to those who aren't but the, to to really acknowledge themselves okay there, there might be a nutrition issue here and we might you know maybe maybe not so we'll monitor and if needs be we'll get the dietitian involved i would see that as only a positive thing of well this some this person is doing the first stage of what i would do as a dietitian anyway and and that just frees up my time for the people who might need me more right now or who might be like you said a higher priority and things so i suppose kind of coming to the end then Tim, what one of the last topics that I think would be interesting to cover with you because of, again, obviously your training and all your experiences. When we talk a lot about nutrition education and upskilling people, and obviously NEDPRO and the Nutrition Coalition is doing a lot on this front and, and trying to really advocate for better nutrition education. What do you think the role of dietitians is in that? Do you think there is a role for dietitians in either in, you know, sort of in 
house hospital training for other professions? Is that something that you would have liked to do as a dietitian? Is it something that you would like to do as a doctor or, or think that your peers would enjoy as well? Or I suppose obviously lots of things because of COVID are online now, but where do you, where do you see the role of the dietitian in nutrition education for practitioners, I suppose, rather than for patients? Yeah, I think I think there's a huge role for dietitians to play um, in terms of kind of medical education and sort of helping, um, you know, helping support. Like we're talking about kind of, uh, you know, medical doctors and medical students becoming um, more informed in nutrition. So the one thing I always found fascinating was when I guess when I was a student, a medical student, that is, we we. We did a gastro rotation and we'd be doing it for quite a long period of time, but we had to get a sign off where we had to spend, you know, half a day or basically like a few hours with a dietitian and then we'd get it signed off. And that was technically our kind of dietetic part. But I think, I think that's, I think that could be expanded hugely so that when I then did a placement following that, I linked up with the dietetic department in the hospital I was working at or, or doing the training at. And we managed to create kind of a, you know, we did a sort of a couple of hour training session with the nutrition nurse, with the dietitian, and I helped kind of lead that in terms of just bringing the people together. But actually, you know, I did very little. I was more just kind of, you know, the logistics person of just bringing the skill sets together. And actually, mm. I think dietitians um, should never underestimate themselves in terms of, you know, how much they know and how much they can um, share in terms of knowledge with, with medical students. I think it's, I think where, where this kind of finesse and skill set comes in, it's kind of knowing really what is the more important stuff to really prioritize for doctors and, and medical students. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's where the, the medical schools and universities can work closely with kind of dietetic departments or people like the BDA to kind of really just, you know, home in and say, well, what stuff should we be adding to the curriculum and, and you know, and how do we best deliver that? Absolutely. And, and leave it to a certain extent uh, led by students as well would be really interesting. And I think NutriTank, again, we I've, I've mentioned them tons of times on this podcast, that they are testament to the fact that there are lots of medical students go, who are saying, look, we want nutrition education and they've gone and sought it out themselves, which is, is also shows you that even if you don't put it in place, um, students are extremely resourceful and they'll find a way to get what they want basically and, and I mean that in a really positive sense and um, I also I think you should probably give yourself a little bit more credit than just being a logistics person on on the front of linking people up I, I, I'm sure that there was much more to it than just the the logistics of, of linking dietitians up with med students but um, I, I also kind of think that the, the, the point you made about only having to spend a couple of hours with uh, the dietitian and getting it signed off I, I imagine look with the best will in the world if you are expected to just spend a few hours with somebody to sign a piece of paper, it probably does become a bit of a tick box exercise for lots of people. And again, I, you know, I, I know myself on placements that there's been times where you think, okay, I just need to, to do this activity, whatever it might be. Whereas if we made it um, a, a more engaging process or engaging part of the process of, of medical training to to really engage with the dietetic service and and, and then you know I, I also appreciate that medical curricula are extremely 
packed as it is and students are very busy so i don't want to make it sound as though i'm i i don't mean i don't mean to sound naive about it and think that well we can have um 10 med students in every dietetic department i'm sure the dietetic departments wouldn't be overly <laughs> pleased with that either no but, um, absolutely but i think there's a i think there is a role for it and 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 maybe as a sort of almost an elective thing um for for people like you for example who who might have been interested in doing that as a as a med student I know. Yeah, I can be. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's so many there's so many ways that medical students have been very resourceful um, in various kind of medical schools, and it's great to see the work that's being done um, so far. I think one one point, dare I say, it, on this podcast is, you know, the reality is not every single medical student is going to be, you know, hugely interested in nutrition. Just like there's medical students yeah. that aren't aren't interested in surgery, urology, neurology. You know, it's it's the same thing. Uh, um, but but at the same time, I think that's why it's being clever about what what we sort of choose to prioritize um, and what we see as the most important things, um, I guess, in terms of what should be taught and, you know, what things we should develop. And I think importantly, like you said, it's actually making it an engaging learning experience rather than just this kind of very paternalistic, um, you know, do this module and, you know, you do this and tick the box and get it signed off, etc. It needs to be a little bit more than that, I think. Exactly. And both of us know, having gone through the training, that dietitians are capable of doing that really engaging training. And it would be really nice to to also give them the opportunity to, to I suppose, show their skills as well in, in, in training to more than just dietitians as well, to, to med students in that case. But, but no, I, I totally take your point as well about, um, about not all med students being interested in, in nutrition possibly. I mean, I have to admit you, you've, you've been on the show twice and I'm not sure you'll be asked back a third time after saying that on the, on the show, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but no, on a serious note, it, it, it is, it is something important to say as well, because like you say, some are not interested in surgery and some are probably very interested in, um, physical activity. So might be more interested in spending time with a physio than a dietitian, but, at the same time, and, and this is, I suppose, uh, a nice thing to sort of end on in some senses, is that a lot of what we're trying to do with NEDPRO, of course, and uh, all, all the other members of the coalition is bringing up the, the basic standards and bringing, making sure that even if somebody isn't particularly interested in nutrition, that they know how to use the MUST tool, for example, or that they know the basics of, of nutrition um screening and, and assessment and those kind of things it would be would be fantastic to to kind of get a, a, a an equal standard across the the profession across the medical profession in uh, in nutrition um tim that's absolutely fantastic thank you again for uh, for taking more time to speak to me i i uh, i really appreciate your time and um out of interest, Ned, Ned Pro wise for you, you obviously, um, like I mentioned, part of the, the task force, but what are the kind of things are you involved in at the moment? What kind of activities are you, are you up to or, or are you fully invested in this, this role in, um, in gastro at the moment and have no time? So, so it's been great following the, some of the events going on at the summer school um, that's been going on the last couple of weeks. Um, unfortunately, timing-wise, um, starting a new job that's been pretty busy has made it more difficult to attend the live events. But I think the great thing is looking on the, the website, there's so many ways to access it after they happen. So that's been really great. Um, and all the sort of resources that, you know, the task force, you know, that we've all put together, it's, it's free access. You know, anyone can look at them. 
Um, so yeah, so I think it's been great to be to be involved in in that work. Fantastic. Well, Tim, good luck with the rest of this uh, of this fellowship. And um, I was only joking. Of course, we'll have you back on the podcast at some stage. And uh, <laughs> fingers crossed, it won't be another episode about COVID, it, and it'll just be about, about more nutrition education. That would be the dream, wouldn't it? So fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you very much, Tim. Cheers. Thanks, James. Okay, so thank you once more to Tim for giving up his time once again and becoming, the, as I mentioned, the first person to be on the NetPro podcast twice. Um, really great to have a chat with Tim, as always. Uh, fantastic conversationalist and learning lots from him, as, as per usual. At this point, you should hopefully have listened to the three interviews we've done as part of this project. And I hope you'll appreciate the different standpoints that we had to begin with Dr. Elise Wilson who is working in uh, public health in Australia, so a very different context and, and setting to our other interviewees. We then had Dr. Dwayne Meller, who has moved from practicing as a dietitian and uh, doing research as a dietitian to actually uh, being a full-time se- uh, senior lecturer in Aston Medical School and, of course, was interviewed by Elaine McEninch, who has a similar role in Brighton and Sussex Medical School. And finally, finishing up then with Dr. Tim Eden, who is very much still a practicing doctor and medical professional, but who is working with NedPro and who is working in the areas of some online learning in nutrition as well. So I hope what this project has done is is highlighted some of the adjunct areas or the the less traditional areas in which dietitians can get involved in education and nutrition education more specifically but also really remembering what uh, Dwayne Meller said about uh, nutrition just being really the start or the tip of the iceberg for what dietitians can teach. Coming up soon to really round out this project what I'm going to do is have a chat with Pauline Douglas and Professor Shimantra Ray. Now Pauline and Shimon are two of the directors of NEDPRO who were centrally involved in founding and setting up NEDPRO um, over 10 years ago, or um, uh, nearly over 12 years ago now, actually. Um, Pauline is a registered dietitian based at Ulster University, whereas Shimon is a medical doctor who is based at the University of Cambridge. And we're going to talk to both of them about their, I suppose, experiences, opinions, thoughts, and um, any everything in between about nutrition education and uh, the role of the dietitian within that. Obviously Pauline as a dietitian herself will bring her experience and her perspective but Shimon has quite a lot of experience in working with dietitians and working alongside them so it'll be great to have the two of them in one place and and hopefully we can uh, learn uh, pick their brains a little bit on, on what they've learned over the years and like I said really round out this project. So thank you once again for listening. If you've enjoyed, please do share the podcast. I say it every week or every episode that we record because small podcasts like ours really get by on word of mouth and, you know, even on social media and things. So if you've enjoyed it and you think you know somebody who would also enjoy it, please do just share it with them or share it on social media. If you have any comments for us or want to get in touch at all, you can do that on social media as well. We can be found on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram or you can find our contact details on our website. I know my own email address is there as well. So if you are interested in the podcast or anything else the NetPro is doing, please do get in touch. 
with that, uh, thank you once again for listening and I hope that you'll join us for another episode very, very soon.